Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Invisible World with your host, Frank Todaro. Yes, hello, and welcome to episode 176 of The Invisible World. I'm your host, Frank Todaro. So right here at the top of the show, I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who came out to the National Math Festival. It was down in Washington, D.C. about two weeks ago. I was down there working with the group Guerrilla Science at the Ublek Olympics, i got to say, I can't imagine a more fun time. Everyone involved was absolutely stellar. A shout-out to the professor, my partner in crime, who took to the stage with me during the physical challenges. It was kind of like a science-themed double dare. I can't wait till next year, or the next time we do this, which might be sooner than later. Stay tuned. Now, that said, I know I don't usually give uh, details about my personal life here on the show. But this past weekend, my very special someone, the Marion to my Indy, whisked me away to some fairly popular waterfalls to celebrate my birthday. To that, in front of the entire world, I say thank you. But while it may be my birthday, you guys get the presents, as that particular location ended up being just minutes away from the home of Paranormal A Station Head and my co-host, on Spectral Retrospective, Terry Koenig. That's right, folks. We actually met in the flesh. Surprise, surprise, none of these shows are actually recorded in the same room. We are on opposite sides of the globe. Well, not opposite sides of the globe, but a good distance from each other on that same global surface from each other. Whatever. So while we were chowing down on Canadian delicacies, which are basically maple donuts we got a chance to visit some of the locations that I spoke about on the various shows that we do on Paranormal A. Now, I never leave town without my trusty portable studio thing, so I got to do some live person interviews with the man himself. So, before we kick off the new segment, let's hear that audio. All right, we are in Port Colborne in front of uh, Hopkins Tomb. 1899, S. Hopkins apparently passed away. Uh, tell us a little bit about this old buddy of mine. Terry? Yes, we're actually in the same location. Uh, Hopkins' tomb, the legend goes that he was buried with uh, all his wealth, and if you go there and screw with his tomb, something bad will happen to you. Uh, I've known people that went in there and screwed with it and did not follow the legend of, I don't have it off the top of my head, but it's walk around backwards again and do a certain little routine. Nothing bad will happen to you. It pays respects to him, apparently. But uh, I've known people that have not done that and end up losing an arm in a car accident afterwards. And there's some people dying of disease, getting murdered. And just You don't screw with this tomb, so don't touch it. How do they find out the exact dance moves to do, though? Like, did he lay that out beforehand? or In his will, yeah. In his will, he said that... <clears throat> if you come pay respects to me, nothing bad will happen to you, but if you don't follow it, he put a, he has a curse on his thing, so... Jeez, well, right now, uh, it just documented here, uh, audio, we have nothing but respect for you, man. We're not going anywhere near uh, near the, the wall, even, sir. <laughs> uh, not out of fear, but for, of respect. Uh, well, <laughs> fear. Okay, for the local boy, fear. Uh, for the New Yorker, just out of respect there. 
you know, it, it is interesting, though, that right now, apparently underneath our feet, there's a whole lot of riches. That's what you're saying, yeah. right? Right inside the tomb, underneath the, the casket, apparently there's a bunch of money, but... It's going to be like a national treasure thing with kind of like all well, system of regular. ancient yet sophisticated traps. <laughs> it used to have a regular door on it, but they had to put that thing on there. You guys can't see because it's audio. But uh, they had to put that door on that doesn't open anymore. As you can see, people bash on it and it's getting rusted, but well, not going in. <laughs> well, it's a lovely day here in Canada, up north. I just ate a maple-covered donut because that's important uh, in a... Uh, a Canadian Canadian donut? Canadian something? Canadian whatever it was called. Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons. Sponsor us. <laughs> Tim Hortons. Uh, if you sponsor us, we will we will talk about how delicious your donuts are. That was a cool car. Yeah. It's like the General Lee. But <laughs> Canadian. In this town, there's a guy with a General Lee. You might see it. Complete with Confederate flag. The further north you go from my city, the further south you are. It's weird. Like that. But, uh... All right, so nice to meet you in person. It is. About time we did five years, so one down, what, six more hosts to meet? Ah, well, they don't really exist. They're all constructs of our imagination in digital form, I think. Especially Hawk. There can't be anybody that evil out there. <laughs> uh, that's awesome, man. And there you have it. It was pretty cool meeting in person. Finally, you guys got to witness a little bit of audio history, so to speak, there with that last uh, that last bit. Now I'm going to play another one here, as we were kind of bouncing around all these spooky locations in that area. So uh, I'll say a little bit more afterwards. But for now, check it out. All right, right now we're at Bethel School. Uh, where exactly are we in Canada? Uh, Port Coburn, Ontario, Canada, my hometown. And again, that voice you're hearing is Terry Koenig in person. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> indeed, indeed. All right, so uh, tell us briefly, uh, or not so briefly, exactly what the story is behind this allegedly haunted location. The story is that a principal killed some students back in the day, <coughs> excuse me, and was uh, hung on the back lawn here, right there, actually, where that those two trees are. You guys He's pointing at a lawn. <laughs> uh, you can't see it, but you should be. You should have been here, people. <laughs> it's still very weird without being on a, in a room with a computer, but... Uh, <coughs> yeah, it's treated me out since I was a kid in school, did a project on it, we had all kinds of weird stuff happen. My friend went down to the basement in the school we went to after the project and the field trip, and lights went out and he came out with a huge cut on them, and we all had a lot of weird stuff, and funny enough, I let it go and burned everything we had done on it, and my friends didn't, and now they're all the ones I hung out with anyway, or like, in jail, or drugged out and shit, and I don't like this place, but here for fun, Frank came to visit, so I might to take him to the creepy places. So what do you, what is it now? This is like a community center or something? A rarely used community center, yeah. It's uh, And there's the, if you guys were here, you would see the logo for PA Urban Legends. <laughs> the creepy playground. So, now this was a school, uh, what, you said it was in the eight, uh, 1800s, you said? 1815, yeah. 1815 is when the building was built, and it was actually a school. So this is pretty old. Uh, Station, Satan's ashes on here, but they seem to have repainted it. <laughs> I have pictures of the old way, though, so I'll post those. <laughs> kind of a jerk move to paint something like that in an allegedly haunted location. Uh, so, uh, getting back to the actual haunting thing, you said there's a tragedy here long, long ago. What exactly happened? Murder of little children, man. Like, the worst crime you could commit. And he got his ass hung out there, and apparently he haunts people that go in and screw around with the place, and or write projects on it, apparently. 
<laughs> Creepiest school ever, though. Like we pointed out before, we went started recording the freaking gargoyles up there. People take pictures of the place and they see weird things in the windows, but there are mannequins some in some windows, but other people see what looks to be people and a woman and a dude in there, so even kids occasionally, which makes sense. <laughs> Just took a picture right there, Terry talking, so if you see that, that's right as he, as he said that sentence. As long as you didn't get my double chin. <laughs> ah, we'll fix it in post. So, so the, I mean, clearly these are all new windows. Uh, this is a great radio, so I'm describing windows. Um, okay, so we're walking on a lawn here. Is this where the incident happened, The what you're talking about? The window, well, you guys can't see, but through that window on the other side, that room is where apparently it happened, and then where we pointed out when we started recording was where he was hung, so... Not a fun place. Is this me, or, like, do you get weirded out in this place, or am I crazy for the past experiences, or... It is a little weird, um, but it's also a beautiful day. The actual building itself, here I'm going to take some pictures, uh, number six, Humberstone. Before it became Port Colborne, they merged, so think of like the Bronx and, uh, what else in the States, in New York, Bronx yeah, and, Bronx and Queens. Queens, yeah. Coming into New York, yeah. Yeah, but they all went together, so. All right, so. It, it, it's it's kind of cool. There are like gargoyles on the top of a school, so that's not something that you guess you would really uh, find. I guess warding off evil spirits. Yeah. Should have made bigger gargoyles. Just take a picture of where he got hung, sir. Those three trees there. All right. So I'm gonna take a picture of where he got hung. That's what's here. And one more of the actual building. Now, just in case, before I run out of space on this disc. I'm going to hit stop, and then we're going to go next to the building, underneath the window where Terry just described, and hit record. So, signing off. Yes, signing off. Watch out for the bee. <laughs> I like how in the end of that clip, Terry's warning me to watch out for the bee. There were lots of bees out there. Very real threats. Not so much poltergeists throwing objects around to hit you in the head and bust your, your, your eyebrow open, but bees. Lots and lots of bees. But as you heard in that last clip, we did get a whole lot of photographs, and we did let the recorders go on for just a bit. Neither of us have really uh, had the chance to go through the mammoth amount of audio that we actually got that day. Uh, I think Terry thought he found something, and he sends me this audio. Uh, it was actually me saying, this is awesome, in the background, because I was a little bit excited. But yeah, once we go through it, if we find anything, expect that to be played here. Alright. So that was fun. But, I know what you guys came here for. Without further ado, it is time for the Paranormal News. Now first up, it's kind of a bit of sad news. Not not really uh, sad, more disheartening, I guess. On the Facebook page, I posted this story about a possible series of intelligent radio signals. And I actually got a couple of uh, cool messages from you guys. This is posted through the Parks Observatory website. Astronomers in Australia discovered that the unexpected source for the series of mysterious radio signals was not aliens at all, something a bit more mundane. The team at Parks Observatory in Nor uh, New South Wales had been investigating unexplained radio signals known as paratons, 
which bear a close resemblance to the mysterious fast radio bursts recently put forward as a possible existence of a type of intelligent extraterrestrial communication. We've spoken about that before. But alas, it was not E.T. calling. It was a, uh, it was a microwave. It was a microwave. I'm just going to skip to the end of this and say it was a microwave. Emily Petroff, uh, an astronomer writing a paper on the detailed findings, says we have identified strong out-of-the-band emission at 2.3 to 2.5 gigahertz associated with several periton vents. Subsequent tests reveals that it could be generated at 1.4 gigahertz when a microwave oven door is opened prematurely and the telescope is at an appropriate relative angle. In other words, they were produced when someone was opening the microwave door too early before their hot pocket was done. Hot pockets. The cause of mistaken ET identification. Here you have it. So next up, live science. That's sad. A new study has, uh, has investigated what causes the planet that inexplicably vibrate at very low frequencies. This is something we've also spoken about before. There's this very kind of low Earth hum. While it's long been known that seismic events can cause the planet to resonate for up to several months, evidence has also been found of a second, more subtle type of vibration that seems to occur all the time, even when there are no earthquakes. This micro-seismic activity is too faint for humans to pick up. Uh, I will add here, there's a, a certain, uh, there's one theory that we do pick this up somehow, and this is what's sort of throwing us off kilter and seeing ghosts and whatnot. Completely other uh, topic, but we will get to that. That is pretty neat, and uh, someone brought that up to me recently, too. Uh, researchers investigating this cause of the phenomenon discovered that the ocean waves may, in fact, be responsible for this constant micro-seismic hum, whatever, right? It's very low-frequency vibration. The, through the use of computer models uh, simulating the movements of the wind and the tide, scientists were able to determine that colliding ocean waves produce seismic waves that can take up to 13 seconds to complete one oscillation, very low. Uh, slower waves, however, can take a bit longer, up to 300 seconds, and the, these are thought to cause those mysterious hums, the mysterious hum due to the pressure of the water being dragged across the seafloor. Now, this is a lot more interesting to actually look at, uh, looking at the models and charts uh, visually, so I'm going to post the rest of that link up on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Invisible World Show, uh, and we're going to move on to something something fun. Samantha Christopher Telly, the first Italian woman in space, did something pretty cool two weeks ago. She took this epic orbital selfie of her dressed in full Starfleet uniform. It's basically Captain Janeway. ESA astronaut Samantha Christopher Telly, again, first Italian woman in space, celebrated all things Star Trek by donning the distinct black and red officer's uniform, pretty damn cool, and capturing an image of herself pointing out of the space station's observation deck. A quote from her, uh, from her Twitter page, There's coffee in that nebula. Uh, I mean, in that hashtag dragon. So cool. Naturally, the quote is a reference to both an episode of Star Trek Voyager and the Dragon Supply capsule outside, which had been carrying a specially adapted espresso maker for the astronauts. They were bringing coffee out into space. It's pretty 
this is just just great. I posted a, a picture again to the page. It's the first time ever that a uniform from the iconic TV series has ever been worn in space, apparently, which is surprising somehow to me. And there you have it. Now, while we're out there beyond our own uh, atmosphere, Yahoo just posted about Ceres's bright spot. Well, not just them, everybody has been talking about these infrared images of the dwarf planet, which reveal that the bright spots seem to behave in completely different ways. Of all the mysteries that Ceres has to offer, by far the most intriguing, are those mysterious bright spots that we've mentioned here and you've probably seen all around your YouTube feed if you subscribe to the same kind of stuff that I do. They've been reportedly observed and photographed on the surface uh, by, uh, by Dawn's probe. Uh, during Dawn's probe approach, there was a lot of speculation as to what these things were. Uh, theories ranging from mineral deposits to water volcanoes so when Dawn arrived in orbit around Ceres, everyone was hoping that it would quickly sort of put an end to these mysteries, but it sort of did the opposite. The latest data from the probe's Visible and Infrared Mapping Spectrometer, the VIR, has revealed that the bright spots don't even exhibit consistent properties to each other, each behaving in a slightly different way. Of the two most visible spots, one is colder than its surroundings, and the other is not. Also, the probe found that it's completely different than Vesta. Dawn had just visited Vesta, and it seems to be uh, home to far few craters than that one on the surface. So it's hoped that the answers to these mysteries, along with many more, will still be found over the coming months, as the Dawn spacecraft continues to explore its new home. Now, coming back down to Earth here, to our Earth, well, for now at least, because this is real Planet of the Apes type news here, us humans are not the only primates to use weapons. This is from the website abc.co.au. Chimpanzees in southern, uh, sorry, southeastern Senegal have become quite adept at making their own weapons. Anthropologists observing chimpanzee behavior in a region called Fongoli in West Africa noted that the chimps had developed the ability to craft basic but effective spear weapons by breaking off tree, tree branches, stripping away all the twigs, and then gnawing the tip with their teeth to make it a sharp point. Now, this doesn't sound like it, it's uh, that big a deal, right? Keep in mind, this is a first this sort of a behavior apparently has not ever been reported or observed before. Now, like you guys, I remember watching those PBS specials where the chimps use reeds of grass to collect ants from trees, but this is something completely different. This is incredible. The team has found that female chimpanzees are more apt to do this than males. Uh, they use these spears a lot more frequency. The males tend to rely more on their size and strength while out hunting. Remarkable demonstration of tools tool use in primates is also thought to reflect on somehow of our earliest ancestors, how we first learned to build weapons and hunt prey. So there you have it. Monkeys with spears. Well, Frank, you might say to yourself, we'll be far along dead by the time the chimps finally rise up and take over as the dominant species on this planet. Well, don't be so quick to say that. News.com reports that Gerontologist Aubrey de Grey believes that the first person to live to 1,000 years old is already alive today. 
Now, mankind has been obsessed with maintaining youthfulness since the dawn of civilization, according to this article, and I think it's true. But it wasn't until the advent of modern science that the quest for immortality could truly begin. Aubrey de Grey, co-founder of the Strategies for Engineered Negligible Senescence, or S-E-N-S, looks a lot like S-N-E-S, I read that, Research Foundation, believes that not only will it be possible for humans to live for centuries, but that the techniques needed to accomplish practically limitless longevity will be available within as little as 30 years. Quote here, If we ask the question, has the person been born who will be able to escape the ill health of old age indefinitely, then I would say the chances are very high, probably about 80%. To achieve this, now, this is not the quote anymore, DeGray has been developing a new type of therapy that can kill cells that are no longer able to divide so that healthy cells can multiply and replenish the tissue. Sounds easy enough, right? Quote here again, These therapies are going to be good enough to take middle-aged people, say aged 60, and rejuvenate them thoroughly enough so that they won't be biologically 60 again until they are chronologically 90. Keep track of that. The same techniques could be then adapted to afford the same benefit to a person aged 90 and so on until eventually they could be kept alive almost indefinitely. There's a Queen song in there somewhere. So... He says that the first major step is going to be demonstrating this process in action by successfully rejuvenating a middle-aged mouse. That's adorable. Now, moving on here, recently I I saw the the Age of Ultron, the Avengers, Age of Ultron, not to be confused with Age of Adeline, Age of Apocalypse, or Age of Extinction. Lots of ages around as of late. So it's great watching superheroes on the big screen these days. Comic book movies, comic book TV shows, Daredevil was fantastic. It does my old nerdy heart proud. However, you just may see one of these masked heroes in front of you on the highway in the real world if you live in Japan. How's that for a segue? This this story has been making the rounds uh, about for the past week as a Mr. Shinjiro Kumagi dons a giant grasshopper outfit and helps hunt down drunk drivers. Yeah, that's right. An artist by trade, Kumagi's motorbike-riding alter-ego, inspired by the 1970s Japanese superhero TV series Kamen Rider 1, the first one, which followed a group of Kamen Riders, or masked riders, as they attempted to take down a nefarious organization. Despite his unorthodox methods, however, the vigilante crime fighter is supported not only by the local police, but by a Buddhist priest called Fukumitsu, who, being a huge fan of the series, contributes enough funds to help him keep him on, out on the streets fighting crime. This is real. There's a Buddhist priest funding a superhero that works alongside the police in Japan. This is awesome. This is why I do this show. The insect-inspired superhero has already turned out to be quite a hit with the city's residents, as he's appeared in numerous photographs and videos on social media. His attempts to raise awareness about Drunk driving have also proven to be quite effective, as he's helped local authorities on several occasions by reporting any violations he sees. A local shopkeeper there says he's doing a very good job. Every city should have a common rider. So, according to all the reports that I've seen online, he's really just going around and calling in if he sees a drunk driver. But doing so in costume makes it so much cooler. 
I'm going to throw a video up on the Facebook page for you guys to check out. Again, if you're just tuning in, facebook.com slash the Invisible World Show. I want to do this. That sounds like fun. Now, sticking with the comic book theme over here, this is actually an interesting story that popped up on the Telegraph. There's this woman who hit her head while on holiday and found that she developed extraordinary mental capabilities. That is an origin story, if I've ever heard one. The woman who's chosen to remain anonymous had been skiing during a family holiday when she slipped and fell to the ground unconscious. Upon awakening, she initially dismissed her injuries as superficial, but as the pain gradually worsened over the following few days, she took the wise decision to go to a hospital. Doctors diagnosed her with a broken collarbone, dislocated shoulder, and a moderate concussion. But it wasn't until she returned home that things really started to feel peculiar. Something had changed in her head. It was unlike anything she'd ever experienced. Quote here from her. It was like I could see, though not in a literal sense because I was still having issues with vertigo, as well as this weird disconnect between what I was seeing and what my brain was processing. I could remember everywhere, like flicking through the pages of a book. Now, she was eventually diagnosed with an acquired savant syndrome, an extremely rare condition that imbues the sufferer with significant improvements to memory and cognitive abilities. It's so rare that, in fact, only 50 people worldwide are believed to have ever been diagnosed with it. So imagine everything you've ever seen, everything you've ever done, suddenly coming back all at once. You walk down the street, every window that you pass, you remember what's in it everything that you've ever observed. That's a superpower. It's also probably a horrible, horrible frustration. But that's what happened to this woman. All right. So moving on to something a little bit more creepy here. Long-time listeners know how much I hate stories about possessed dolls. So this one's for you guys. It's from Inquisitor.com. Videos and photographs of this weird, strange doll that were posted up on the Internet are said to have caused a range of weird symptoms in people that view them. This doll's known as Peggy. You might have actually seen something about this, but Peggy is alleged is allegedly possessed by uh, some spirit. This is child, child's doll. It's now owned by Jane Harris, a paranormal investigator who has a keen interest in the unexplained and the occult. The head of Haunted Dolls, it's an organization in Shropshire, England. Crazy stuff comes out of Shropshire, England, huh? Harris received Peggy from the doll's former owner, who had been trying to get rid of it on the basis that it had been responsible for a spat of terrifying nightmares and inexplicable ill health. After she acquired the doll, Harris started to use it as the focus for a series of YouTube videos, showing her attempting to communicate with whatever spirit might be possessing it. However, soon reports started to emerge of people suffering from a rare peculiar symptoms after watching this video, including uh, headaches, nausea, chest pains, and other weird things to happen. One woman even reported having a heart attack after watching one of these videos. She says, if I had to guess, I'd say close to 80 people have come forward with these experiences. Now, I don't know exactly how many people have seen the videos to make that actual ratio of how many people have watched to how many people came forward, or how many people came forward or didn't come forward with experiences. That's a study that I'm not doing right now. But I'll continue with the quote here, saying, One lady said that when she opened the photograph of Peggy, her computer 
froze on the picture and the room went cold. She then said that she felt someone in the room with her and could hear them moving around. I took Peggy down into an isolation area and requested that she cease her tormenting. Apparently, everything returned to normal. Despite receiving offers from other mediums to have the spirit expelled from the doll, Harris have, has opted to keep it around and continue conducting research on it in private. I'm not going to post any of these videos. I think one is still left up on YouTube now. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to mess with anyone's heating or air conditioning systems or their computers. Seriously, not just because of the creep factor or the fact that you might be opening a gateway which may or may not quantify as an invitation to some malevolent entity to come through and mess with you, but because those things cost money to fix. Brass tax people, don't let curiosity cost you the value of buying a new hard drive. It's just common sense. But now it is time, here's that music, for this week's UFO Roundup. So peaceful. First up, the Chilean government has concluded that an object witnessed a few years ago over a copper mine was in fact not man-made. This is a government statement now, that the flying object that was witnessed in 2013 was in fact not man-made. The sighting has remained one of the most prominent UFO cases in recent years, especially in Chile, where interest in the phenomenon is so high that there's a whole government office dedicated to researching it. Now, according to this new report by experts at the Center for the Study of Anomalous Aerial Phenomenon, or the CEFAA, the object witnessed in the uh, north of the country was not any weather phenomenon, quote, or any other known object made by man. Miners who witnessed the object at the time described it as silver in color and recalled how it had performed impressive aerial acrobatics above their heads at an altitude of about 2,000 feet. CEFAA officials who concluded the lengthy investigation to the incident maintained that it couldn't have been a drone and that it wasn't any known meteorological phenomenon. Quote here, from that organization, witnesses were left with the impression that the object was being controlled. The evidence was analyzed by a meteorologist who ruled out the possibility of the object being a lenticular cloud, something that I was talking about just the other day. One expert in the image analysis concluded that the photographs correspond to an object that could not be identified. But for now, if I might wind things down here with tonight's final thought. So yesterday, there was this article trending entitled, The Japanese Develop Bear Robot for Assisted Suicide, or something of the like. Now, the article was shared and reshared for obvious reasons, complete with a picture of this monstrous white robot with this innocent teddy bear-like face cradling a smiling woman, the stuff of nightmares. Now, I bring this up here rather than as a news story, because it brought up a point. Most folks who were posting this on social media or whatnot were saying things like crazy Japanese or look at what they're doing now or some other blanket statement when sharing this article, including some of the popular sites that were recapitulating the information with embedded media, that weird picture and so forth, uh, as they were going around. You know what? Let me tell you about this guy I know. Well, know of. He had been developing this machine that he believed would make him stronger by suspending quartz crystals in a container filled with peanut butter. 
then sending electric pulses through it and holding the vessel to other people's foreheads, believing to siphon their potential power and incorporate it into himself. That guy was from California, United States, not to mention a former scientist at Berkeley. So considering this, the title of an article based on him should read, The Americans Develop Plan to Steal the World's Energy Using Peanut Butter and Rocks. It's pretty laughable, right? I mean, I'd click on it out of morbid curiosity. For the record, he was the sole engineer on this project, and it succeeded only in attracting ants. When you consider these very wacky and clickable news stories, they're not indicative of an entire country due to the nationality of a few folks involved. The head of state and foreign land did not call for suicide bear bots in the same way that our president did not demand peanut butter power stealers. Always be sure to click and read the article, many different versions as you can, and be aware of editorializations or spicing up something to make a story more interesting and clickworthy. Case in point, that peanut butter story I just told you, completely fabricated. I just made that up. Before you go around telling your friends about this wacky story, I figured I'd tell you that right off. You know what else was made up? The original IFL science article about the suicide bear and the subsequent trending articles which borrowed their language. The reality of the situation, if you've seen this thing already, Riken, Japan's largest comprehensive research institution, they're behind this thing. It's called the Ro-Bear, very similar to the Burbles from Thundercats. kind of looks like that, too. Which it was, de- it was designed to perform simple tasks at nursing homes, such as helping patients in and out of wheelchairs and moving them in and out of bed. Now, keep in mind that nowhere on the actual website did it say that this article was a satire. And the site itself normally has the intent of broadening science awareness and does so. So hopefully this was a genuine mistake or a prank perpetrated by a third party, but following that, science infotainment, as it is, has become so popular that clickable content is often cranked out faster than actual fact-checking and research. So the moral of the story here, watch out what you latch on to, always question your sources, and take every outlandish story with a grain of salt, even the ones you hear coming out of my mouth. All of this stuff, all this kind of stuff, is still primarily entertainment before anything else, even your local nightly news. So keep that in perspective. And that's about going to do it for tonight's episode. Big thanks to Trash80 for the intro and outro music. Huge thanks to the Paranormal A Radio Network up in Canada. And to Terry Koenig for, well, being on the show tonight, I guess. Pretty cool. Great donuts. Awesome. Hope to do it again. Thank you to everyone here and everyone out there. This has been The Invisible World. I'm Frank Todaro reminding you to be good to each other and keep looking forward.